All right, well, good morning, Trace. How are we doing this morning? Everybody doing good? Happy Father's Day. Can we give it up for all the dads in the room with us? Appreciate each and every one of you. Thanks so much for being here. Also met several guests today. Thanks for accepting the invitation and coming and being a part of our Sunday gathering. We really do appreciate you being here. And I uh, wanted to let you know what's going on with this t-shirt right here. See, there's a little something that happens in the Pennington household. Uh, not every Father's Day, but the, several Father's Day on the night before Father's Day, um, my kids will give me a new t-shirt. And every time they give me a new t-shirt, they're like, Dad, you got to wear it to church tomorrow. You got to preach in it. So if you can't tell what this says, it says, Fa Thor. Fa Thor. Yeah, it's a dad joke. And I don't know if you know this or not, uh, but there's like an epidemic happening in our country right now when it comes to dad jokes. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to check out this video. I walked into the kitchen yesterday and said to my dad, hey, I'm hungry. And he said, hey, hungry, I'm dad. So... My dad went up to me and he said, how do you know when you're drowning in milk? And I'm like, I don't know. And he tells me when it's past your eyes. <sighs> past your eyes. Hey, dad, can you make me a sandwich? And what did your dad say? Abracadabra. You're a sandwich. I guess I am a sandwich. Dad asked me, have you ever heard of the new movie Constipation? I said, what? No. He said, because it never came out. Who even names the movie Constipation? My dad just bought a new universal remote for the house and said, this changes everything. My dad and I were passing by the aquarium and he said to me, how many tickles does it take to make an octopus laugh? He said, 10 tickles. What? Oh. Tentacles. My dad said alligators can grow 15 feet. Then he said most of them just grow four. Just four. So I was walking up the stairs with my dad, and he said, these stairs look like they're up to something. They're just stairs. Yeah, you can give it up for that. <laughs> I'm never going to forget the constipation one. I'm going to share that at least once a week. Hey, um, one of the biggest privileges that I have in life is to be a father to four crazy kids. And one of the things that I've had to remind myself of often as a pastor is that uh, they come first. And here's what I've learned uh, to kind of the way that I process through this personally is there's a lot of people that could do this job. There's a lot of people that could stand up here on this stage and a lot of people that could preach a message. There's a lot of people that could be the lead pastor of this church, but I'm the only father to Lily, 
and Jonathan and Avery and Madison. And I want to do this well. And by this, what I mean is I want to be a good pastor and a good leader here, uh, but I want to make sure that I'm always an incredible father. And one of the things that I don't ever want to happen is for my kids to hate the church because of how much it consumed me or my time. Now, you may not have that particular challenge, but dads, all of us have a high responsibility and a high calling to fill. We really do. And if you've never heard me say this before, uh, I've said it several times, you'll probably hear me say it again. I believe the breakdown of our country is the breakdown of the American family. And I believe that the breakdown of the American family is riding on the backs of the lack of intentionality among men. And so if we can, just to celebrate this day a little bit differently, I'd like to ask all the dads in the room to stand up, and I would just like to say a prayer over us this morning, if it's okay. So if you're a dad, uh, would you make your way to your feet, and I'm going to collectively say a prayer for us, and then we'll move on with our time of teaching. Father, thank you for these men. And Father, I pray that you give us wisdom. I pray you give us guidance. I pray that you give us favor. God, I pray that you show us how to be patient. I pray that you show us how to use our availability, that we'll leverage our influence for the maximum possible benefit of leading our kids, not only in a good direction, but in a godly direction. And so, Father, would you partner with us? Because we can't do this without you. And so, God, I pray that your wisdom and your guidance is in the lives of each of these men, that you put other men in their lives that would also just encourage them in the direction of Jesus. And, God, many of us didn't have um, a father influence that was healthy. And so I pray, Lord, that when we need to, that we're reminded that you are a good good father and that we can look to you for example. And so God, we pray that you hear this and that you guide us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Thanks for doing that. Hey, today we're going to be looking at John chapter 5. If you're new with us, we've been in the gospel of John. And so if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn them open or turn them on. And you can find your way over to John's gospel, specifically in chapter 5, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I want to let you know, like right now, that I was prepared to teach through about 18 to 20 different verses out of John chapter 5. But then something happened this week where I landed on an article that really captured my attention And then it led me in a different direction for my sermon. And so I've got something very specific that I want to bring to your table today, something that I want you to consider. And it's going to uh, come out of six particular verses in John chapter 5. And so I narrowed our focus down a little bit. And you may be wondering, like, what is it? What article was it that captured your attention so much that you changed your sermon? And it was titled this, The Wonderfully Disruptive Pace of Jesus. And one of the main points that stood out to me in this article was this. When you slow down the pace of not just your walk, but of your life and of your mind and of your heart, you begin to see things from a more eternal perspective. Now, guys, I don't know about you, but I want that. And honestly, I want it for you. I want it for your kids. I want it for my kids. I want it for this church. Because if the pace of our life determines our posture, then we could say that our pace very much determines our perspective. And so here's how I would unfold it completely. You see, we have a pace in life that all of us are living. That pace leads to a posture oftentimes that reflects on how we see people that ultimately will shape whether or not we have an eternal perspective or whether or not we have a worldly perspective. And unfortunately, many of us at some point throughout our lives have bought into the lie that says, hey, rushing through life and and being in a hurry and always being busy is the same thing as being productive. And friends, that is a lie. Now, what I'm not saying is that you shouldn't be ambitious. What I'm not saying is that you shouldn't work hard. Even here at Trace, we have something called the Trace Pace. And the Trace Pace 
uh, is something that uh, really our staff uh, started to say because of how fast we move and how we're always pushing and we want to plow forward and we want to be innovative because we believe that the message that we carry is too special to ever settle for status quo. And so as a church, you, can have, you, you know you have that in us as the leaders here is that we're always going to be plowing forward and never settling for just the status quo. Now, on the other side of that, we've also incorporated into our church culture here something that we call the A-minus culture. You see, we want to do everything with excellence here, right? We want to get an A. We want to get a 4.0. But the minus reminds us that we're never going to do that, that we're never going to pursue excellence at the expense of people. Friends, Jesus' message to us has always been crystal clear. His message and his mission for us is to love people, not love people the way that we would define what it looks like to love people. We talked about that a few weeks ago, but loving people the way that he modeled for us to love people. And one of the examples that I think that Jesus shows in his life of how to do this that is often overlooked is his pace, the pace in which he lives life, the wonderfully disruptive pace of Jesus. You see, Jesus lived his life at 3.1 miles an hour. That's the average pace of someone walking. Not running, not rushing, not hurrying, but walking. And do you know what this pace allows for? When you live life at this pace, you know what it allows for? Interruptions. You see, loving the way that Jesus did means living a life of constant interruptions. Let me help you to see this from a different angle. I bet some of the people in your life that you've appreciated the most are people that were willing to be interrupted for you. But unfortunately, the opposite is also true because the people in your life that you thought would have been like willing to be interrupted for you and weren't probably left a pretty deep wound. Friends, our pace has to become a bigger priority in our life. And so what I'd like to do for the rest of our time today is I want us to look at this text in John chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 1, and I want to use this text to use as a very practical way to give us some specific action steps when we leave here today. And so again, if you have your Bibles with you, turn them open, turn them on. We're going to begin in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. This is also in Aramaic referred to as the House of Mercy. Now let me give you the legend behind this pool really quick. Legend has it that there would be an angel that would come down and he would stir the water. And so when the angel came down to stir the water, the quicker that you could get into the water once the angel had done that, the more likely you would be healed. Now, let me be clear. The Bible doesn't talk about this at all. That's just the legend behind this particular pool. And so let me finish. Uh, and it was surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who had been there uh, had been an invalid for 38 years. Let me just give you some context to that. A couple weeks ago, I turned 40, which is stupid. But nonetheless, it happened. And I'm thinking, now we don't know how long this guy had had a special need. We don't know how old he, oh, I should say it differently. We don't know how old he was. We know how long he had a special need. It was 38 years, 38 years. And later down in this text, we read that when this, the waters would have been stirred, that people overlooked him. 38 years, this man had been overlooked. Nobody was ever there to help him. But don't miss 
what happens next. In verse 6, when Jesus saw him, when Jesus saw him, don't miss the importance of that statement. Guys, all of us have probably been in one of those situations where something happened in front of us, something that very easily could have been something that we could have helped with. Maybe it was the person push, pushing their car on the side of the road, but you're like, you know what, I don't really have the shoes for that today. Or maybe it was the woman who was on the other end of the, the parking lot at a grocery store at Target or uh, Walmart, just real quick, Target fans in the room? Yep, Walmart. Are you kidding me? The people of Walmart are amazing. Like, you gotta go to Walmart if you don't. I love Walmart. So uh, we always have this argument in my, my, my household. I'm getting off on a tangent. Let me get back on track. So maybe you see that woman, she drops her groceries, but there's, there's other people in her proximity. I mean, there's people closer to her than I am, and so I don't, like, I, I don't really need to get involved. What about your neighbor who lost his tree in the last snowstorm, which was only three weeks ago? And you think to yourself, I know he's a little bit older, but I think I've seen family come around before, so I, you know what, I bet his family will be around, he's gonna have plenty of help, I don't really need to get involved. Now, since you guys are above average Christians, I have no doubt that every time one of these scenarios presents itself to you that you do something about it. But for the rest of us, what is it inside of us that tries to avoid these situations when we are fully capable of helping? It could be several different reasons. Maybe you don't even like your neighbor because he's a Green Bay Packer fan. It's a legit excuse. I get it. I think oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, it comes down to this. The pace of our life and the posture of our heart. And our pace often determines our posture, right? Our pace and the way in which we're rushing through life determines our posture in which how we see people that ultimately affects whether or not we have an eternal perspective. And we rush through this life convincing ourselves that we're too busy to get involved that we're not willing to be interrupted. I want you to hold that thought. Our three-year-old Madison, she's a stinker, and uh, we've just really been enjoying her here recently, and one of the things that happens more nights than not uh, throughout the week is she'll get up, and what we've done is we put a, a gate in between her door so that she can't like go roam the neighborhood in the middle of the night, and so she'll stand at the gate, if you can imagine this, and this happens again more nights than not. She stands at the gate, and she just picks either me or her mom, and she goes, Mom, Mom, Mom. Yeah, and it keeps going until Mom comes, and all she needs is for you to find her stuffed animal that fell on the side of the bed every night. This is the routine. Or she'll get up and say, Dad, 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 and it just goes until we get there. Now, the other night, I was already up for some reason, and so I got to hear this plainly unfold because she kind of changed her tone, and she had never done this before. She got to the gate and she goes, somebody, somebody, and she probably said this for, you know, 12 times, you got to give the little girl credit, right? She understands there's five other people in the house, so she's broadening her ass to hope, hopefully get some people to help. Most people don't need a superhero. They just need somebody. Most people don't need a superhero. They just need somebody. 
And I think that every one of us in here, listen to me, could be the someone that somebody needs to show up in their life right now. God continues to remind me that, Aaron, I don't need you to do anything incredible, but I do need you to be available. Maybe one of the ways you've heard me say it before in the past it's, is this. It's amazing. Man, it's amazing how little effort it takes on our part to be such a huge blessing in someone else's life. But if our pace and posture doesn't line up with God's priorities, which is always people, then the pace of our life is potentially poisoning our hearts, causing us to live at such a pace in our life where we are overlooking people. And when we allow that to happen for too long, we start saying things like this, I just don't have time. Somebody else will do it. It's not my problem. I've got more important things to do. Hey, they did it to themselves. Let them figure it out. Really? I just don't care. Have you ever been there? Because I have. Let me talk to the dads in the room really quick. About six to nine months ago, God got my attention that I was consistently overlooking my kids because of the pace that I was trying to keep up with in life. And when he got my attention, he helped me to arrive at a question that I've been asking my kids that has allowed me to see more deeply into their hearts. It's been an incredible opportunity for me to spend with my kids and ask them this question. And dads, I'd really encourage you to ask this question, but only if you're ready to mean it. And it's this question, very simple. How can I show up for you more right now? Lily, Jonathan, Avery, how can daddy show up for you more right now? Now, my three-year-old, when I ask her this question, she just says, dad, just give me some more candy and popsicles so don't get too deep there. Moms and dads, I want you to listen to me for a second. I want you to make sure that your kids know that you'll show up for them, that you're willing to be interrupted for them. Now, I know some of the moms in the room right now are thinking, I'm always interrupted. What are you talking about? I can't even go to the bathroom without this little thing following me in here. And so I get that. Listen to me. I get that. And you do need a break. And dads, for what it's worth, we need to give our wives a break sometimes. But I think you know where I'm going with this. Just be available. Be available when they need you. Don't miss this next statement. If the pace of your life right now doesn't allow for that, it's time to change your priorities. Let's keep reading. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? You see, Jesus' response to seeing this man in need was asking a question, not giving an opinion, not assess assessing the situation and telling this man all the things that he could have done different to better himself. No, he asked a question. Because I'm curious how much different our lives would look and the lives around us would look if we would learn to lead with a question before we offer an opinion, to lead with a question before we make an accusation. I used to struggle with this to a great deal. On the Enneagram, I'm an eight. Any other eights in the room? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We'll have a little gathering afterwards. And No, I'm just kidding. If you're an eight on the Enneagram, you likely struggle, I don't know if it's the right word, but you likely um, have a posture of wanting to share your opinions. And you think others should actually hear those opinions out. And I used to struggle with this until I had a mentor in my life a few years ago kind of call me on this. And he said, Aaron, I want to encourage you to do something. Every time that you feel the need to share an opinion, I want you to start with a question. 
Every time you have that, whatever that is inside of you as an aide that's like, hey, you need to hear my opinion on this. I want you to hear what I have to say. Before you go there, I want you to just lead with a question. And I took him up on this. And friends, this has drastically changed my life. It has drastically changed my leadership. And it probably led to some necessary humility. And now when I'm leading these younger leaders that are part of our church and guys that I get to spend time with, one of the number one things that I try to instill inside of them is this very principle, learning to lead with a question before they offer an opinion or worse yet, make an accusation. Because when we do this, by asking a question and by leading with a question, we're giving ourselves the opportunity for deeper levels of understanding so that if we still do offer an opinion, which maybe we don't need to do, now at least we're a little bit more educated. So let me ask you a rhetorical question. Have you ever shared an opinion about someone's situation without seeking further understanding first? Yeah, me too. And do you know what makes it a lot easier to do that? You know what subjects us to do that more quickly? When the pace of our life and the posture of our heart doesn't allow for interruptions. Because it's always easier, especially the faster that you're moving through life. It's so much easier to criticize than it is to empathize. And I think we've all probably been there. And this happens so much more quickly when the pace of our life doesn't allow for interruptions. So here's a principle that I think all of us should live by. Always ask a question before you offer a criticism. I promise you, if you do this, it will pay dividends in your life. It'll pay dividends in your marriage. It'll pay dividends as a parent, as a friend, as a leader, in whatever capacity that you lead in. If you learn to lead with a question before you offer a criticism, this will pay dividends in your life. Now, I want to take a moment. I want to go deeper on this idea of how quickly we make accusations. Because, friends, when we make accusations, we aren't representing the Father's love. But instead, we're actually mimicking our enemy. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, Satan is referred to as the great accuser. And it says that he accuses without stop both day and night. I think you know this, but our culture doesn't need any more accusers. I think our politics are ta <clears throat> taking care of that, aren't they? What our culture needs is listeners. And how do we do that? How do we become better listeners? We live at 3.1 miles an hour. And instead of offering our opinions, we need to ask more questions. Does anybody know in here how many questions that Jesus asked throughout the Gospels? Anybody? No, you don't know because you never asked the question. I'm just messing with you. 307. Jesus asks 307 questions. I think Jesus saw the value in asking a good question. So let me ask you again, how much different could our life look if we slowed down the pace of our life to enough to where we just didn't fly past people's situations and throw our opinions and throw our accusations, but instead we led with questions. How much different would your life look and the lives of people around you look if you actually lived that way? How much different would our lives look? How much different would our world look if we began with empathy instead of criticism? I wanna give you guys this week a very, very intentional action step that I think will help you to slow down the pace of your life and learn to listen a little bit better. It's a question. I want to encourage you to ask this question at least once every day this week. 
And if you'll do this, and it's a very simple question, but I also believe it to be one of the most powerful questions that you can ask, you might be surprised how much transformation happens in your very own life. The question is this, hey, how can I help? Simple question, how can I help? But there are several things happening when we ask this question. There are several things happening at the same time. You see, in, other, in, in order to ask this question, you first have to see somebody. And if you haven't been coming here to Trace for any amount of time, then you maybe have not heard me talk about this, but this was a big principle for us early on where we wanted to encourage you to see people because you get this. We're moving at such a pace in life these days that we don't see people anymore. We see past them. We see through them. They're just a transaction. But I happen to be one of those guys that truly believes that God is putting people in your path for a particular reason. But you'll miss that opportunity to be a trace of his love, our mission You'll miss the opportunity to be a trace of his love when you don't even see them. And so before you can even get to this question, you have to slow the pace of your life long enough to see someone. And then you gotta be willing to stop for them and have the posture of being ready to ask a question. Hey, how can I help? How can I help? And now you've got an opportunity to serve them the way that Jesus did. Potentially, one of the best recipes to fight against selfishness. See them. Stop for them. Ask the question, how can I help? And then be ready to serve them. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul reminds us of the importance of this. He says, do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Guys, I don't think this is the typical default for most of our lives, to put others in front of ourselves. Most of us are intrinsically wired to just focus on what we have going on. That's why we live at the pace that we do. And we even have other people around us telling us to just worry about your own life. Like this little girl, check this out. You want me to help, Russ? No. Thank you. No, thank you. What do you want me to do? Worry about yourself. <laughs> Worry about yourself. <laughs> I'll do this one, so I'm gonna do that. You drive! <laughs> Worry about yourself! Go drive! Go! <laughs> this week, I don't want you just to worry about yourself. This week, I want you to ask the question How can I help? How can I help? And again, for this to happen, you gotta slow down. You gotta see someone. You gotta be willing to stop for them. You've gotta ask them a question and you gotta be ready to have the posture to want to serve them depending on, the, on how they answer the question, how can you help? It could be your spouse. It could be one of your kids. It could be your neighbor. It could be that random stranger. I don't know what it looks like for you, but here's what I do know, that if you will incorporate this, and again, this is a tool, right? So tools are only as effective as you use them. If you will incorporate this into your life, I promise you, you're gonna start to experience God's peace in a way that you never have. Because not only are you slowing down the pace of your life in order for this to happen, but you're actually starting to reflect the wonderfully disruptive pace of Jesus. Friends, our pace often determines our posture with how we see people. So our pace has to become a bigger priority. 
3.1 miles an hour. That's how we're going to do life. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, you know I've messed this up. You know that I probably prided myself way too often for the kind of pace that I've kept up with and all the things that I've tried to accomplish in a very quick manner. And Lord, I also know that without a doubt in the process of trying to keep up with a crazy pace that I overlooked people and most likely people that you actually wanted me to see. And so I don't know where each and every person in here falls right now, but I know there are people that struggle with this and they're trying to keep a pace that may seem productive because of what they're able to accomplish, but Father, you make it clear through your gospel that if that pace is causing us to overlook people, then it is not productive. And so God, I pray that in whatever way that it needs to look, that you help us to reevaluate our lives today. And Lord, that we'll remember the simple exercise to see people, to stop for them, and to ask the question, how can I help and be ready to serve them? And God, I truly believe that if we'll do this, it will radically change our lives, and those around us. And so, Father, would you ingrain this in the minds of every person in this room to follow through on this? And, Father, show, show us who it is that we need to ask this question to this week. How can we help? We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said...